age gap, this is like the perfect, this is the NBA Jam era. Like right. the fans that they'll find it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's where like a lot of the coaches and stuff that listen to this podcast, like they're all in their 30s, 40s. Oh, yeah. You know, and whatever. And then we got young boy Nick over there. Um, I don't know how many quarters he pumped into an NBA Jam machine. Enough. He was, it was probably enough. one of the later versions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were on term, tournament edition or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I played tournament at Godfather's <laughs> with Bill Clinton. <laughs> oh, at Godfather's. That's awesome. With that's Bill awesome. Clinton, what else bro. do they have over there? Oh, man. What all did we play? We played uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Of course. I played, uh, um, I played Galaga with my dad a lot. My dad was, big, my dad was uh, cold at Galaga. Did you ever big... know that Alec Baldwin played a lot of Galaga while he was like high on coke? Actually, he'd do that to come down. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, I, was, I, I say that again. Are we, are we recording? I'm recording. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually in a book. Yeah. This is in this is another oh, one of the boss fight. Uh, the the books in the series. Yeah. He's really written a whole bunch of these freaking awesome ass books about the cultural impact of these different yeah. games and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the so the, the series the public. Um, is uh is boss fight books and they've done yeah this is my my entry is the 21st one the nba jam one but anyways there's a galaga one and that one is that's really early on that's like five or so four and the book the book starts off with a story about how uh back i think it was in the 80s alec baldwin was apparently doing a ton of coke and he would have his come down by going in and waiting outside this bar and playing galaga and he'd just stand there and like basically wait for them to let him in of course they let him in he's alec baldwin wow. and he just wow. played galga for hours in the morning as this bar opened up so oh my God. that's my <laughs> for better or worse it's the first thing i think of when i think of galga which is a great visual like 80s alec baldwin 100 being like let me in let me in <laughs> my galga yeah so that's imagine, how, that's how, that's how needs. imagine yeah, having that kind exactly. of clout that you can just go yeah. and yeah 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 i'm gonna need to come in oh it's alec baldwin <laughs> it's okay yeah. let him I'm gonna, in i'm gonna exactly, need yeah. to come in welcome to the live period I'm your host, Nick Goodwin. And I'm Thomas Villianco with Villianco Hoops. And I'm Brandon Goebel with Juco Advocate and Verbal Commits. All right, guys, welcome back to the live period. We've got a, uh, we've got a really fun episode today. Um, you know, we were, we were trying to think of just some just some cool stuff that we could do with this show. Uh, and, and I was, I don't, I don't remember if I was on Twitter or what I was looking at, but saw that one up arcade, uh, ha, you know, has created this miniaturized version of the NBA jam arcade game. And I'm instantly running through my head, like how to explain this to my wife when she shows up and sees this $500 box sitting in the corner, um, it, with NBA jam on it. And uh, no, you know what it was? I saw one of our coaching friends actually went out and found an original case and had the original one. And he said it was a steal because the guy had to get it out of his house. His wife wanted it gone or something. So he drove with his truck to pick it up. It was like two grand. And they're usually way more than that, I guess. Um, and it was in great condition. And he, he said, I think he'd gotten it like the day before. And he's like, I've already played like 67 games of, <laughs> of NBA Jam or something. <laughs> so I started kind of tooling around on the internet and I said, all right, I want to do an episode on NBA Jam. And lo and behold, 
uh, we find our new friend here, Rayan Ali, who wrote a book called NBA Jam The Book. And we will make sure that we include in the description here the link to where you guys can go check this book out. Uh, part of a really cool series uh, of books about video games and their cultural impact and the history and just all sorts of really neat anecdotes. He actually just told us one here before the show that I'll let you guys go read about Galaga that now has me interested in reading a book <laughs> about Galaga, which I didn't think would be a thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm super excited to, uh, to to have you here today, Rayon. Thank you so much for having me. I, it's, it's a blast already. I'm super excited. And that Galga story is a pretty good one, I got to say. Yeah. No I don't have a lot of drug stuff in the book. I've got a couple of things, but that Galga one, that's money. <laughs> oh, my God. We might we might just have to throw that one on at the end of the pod for those of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's worth like the uh, clip. It's like an Easter egg. We're going to hide that exactly. in the podcast here. There'll be a cool story about Galaga if you listen to it. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah. What's cool is that with NBA Jam, there's all kinds of other bizarre stories out there of its own. So that's always a blast when, you know, you've got uh, something that you really love that has all kinds of weird lore attached to it. And that was one of the most thing fun things about working on the book. Um, but, yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, um, I mean, this is such like a the, the cultural impact of this is interesting because, you know, we all know it. Uh, three of us from being, you know, in the basketball space. Um, and, and that would make sense. Right. That like, OK, we've got this NBA game. Obviously, we're going to know what it is. But like this was one of the most successful games of all time, right? I mean, this was just a monster uh, when it came out, and I think even blew Midway and those guys away uh, as far as how successful it was going to be. So it's beyond even even just basketball, right? Like it's beyond our typical audience of coaches and players and basketball people and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you had people playing NBA Jam that didn't really care about basketball or the NBA. So um, maybe you know what? Let's just start. Let's start back and, and just kind of hear how this how this thing came together. What you know, what was the impetus behind uh, behind this this cultural phenomenon? Yeah. So and so behind the the creation of NBA Jam itself, like you want to go right back to that, or do you want to go back? Oh yeah, before? take us yeah, all the way back. Yeah, I mean, wherever you think is relevant to like yeah. kind of explain to people how this all got started. I'd I'd say it probably starts. Man, it's it's tough to pinpoint when exactly it all started for NBA Jam. But I'd probably say it goes back to the late 80s and another game uh, call, called Arch Rivals, which was an unlicensed basketball game. Do you guys know Arch Rivals? Oh, yeah. You used to be able to punch people right in the freaking dome. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so what's real funny is that Arch Rivals uh, was created by this company called Midway. Uh, that was then later acquired by a company called Williams. And they're both based out of Chicago. And Arch Rivals was this basketball game that was, it was two on two. It was real cartoony, real comical. Um, anyways, Arch Rivals gets picked up by uh, Williams after they acquire Midway in the late 80s. So then they release this Arch Rivals game, and it does really well, but it's an unlicensed game. And the guys over at Williams, who now own Midway, they're saying, hey, maybe you guys should make like a sequel to it. Maybe you guys should make a four-player game. They're like, oh, we don't really want to do that. Like, Arch Rivals is, you know, we did that here and there. Um, you know, now we're done. We're going to move on to something else. And then fast forward a few years later, just maybe four or five years later, there was another designer uh, over at Midway, this guy, fellow named Mark Trammell, and he'd been working on some other games of his own. He worked on Smash TV, um, which was a classic, late 80s classic, yep. actually maybe early 90s classic, where you're killing people in a futuristic game show, which was which was awesome. Very Running Man. Yeah, I was about to say <laughs> Running Man and Schwarzenegger. Very Running Man, yeah. So he made Smash TV, and he made Total Carnage, and then he was trying to think, okay, what can I do for my next game? Like, what's out there? Like, what's an idea worth doing? So Mark Trammell always loved basketball. 
And then he knew that Arch Rivals was a success. And there were some other things that were going on at Midway at the time um, that really made him think like, hey, you know, maybe I could I could do something with this. And yeah, somebody, a co-worker of his suggested, this is when Mark Trammell was pretty down because the second game didn't do very well. Total Carnage didn't perform all that well. So his co-worker is like, yeah, you know, I know that you love basketball. How about making a basketball game? Then Mark Trammell's like, yeah, that's that's a good idea. So he knew that Arch Rivals was a success and it was the same company, it was also an arcade game. And so going back to, to probably that point was when NBA Jam was really born. That idea that, you know, there had already been some success of this unlicensed basketball game that these guys put out or at least a company they acquired put out. And Mark Trammell really wanted to do something big out of uh, this failure that he had, this game called Total Carnage, which is a pretty cool game. It just didn't perform very well at all. And then lo and behold, NBA Jam comes out, and there's a lot that goes with it. But it ended up making – actually, just to put it in perspective, this is what I always love is – so Jurassic Park was the biggest movie in 1993. That made something like $347 million in, in theaters. That was huge. I mean, Jurassic Park was everywhere. Jurassic Park was pop culture. Yeah, that was the number one movie that had ever come out at the time, right? Absolutely. And it was just, it was so, you know, pervasive in the culture. Like, Jurassic Park was everywhere. And that same year that Jurassic Park came out, NBA Jam came out and made a billion dollars. So a billion in quarters, which is just staggering. So making a billion dollars is nuts. Making a billion dollars in quarters and almost tripling, actually going beyond triple, I think, of Jurassic Park. Jesus. It's just crazy. Do you have any and idea how much probably, space a billion dollars worth of quarters would take up? <laughs> just in your research, have you come across that? I, I have not. I have not. No, no. Actually, you know what? I found out how much it weighs, though. i got to find it over here. I actually yeah, I did some calculating. How much does a single quarter weigh? Or how much does a token weigh? Okay. And, yeah, how much would that be? I've actually probably got that fact over here somewhere. I had all kinds if of If you have it. Here. Um, yeah. No, I'm going to – I'm about to find it in a second. Um but yeah, it was uh, it was just this huge phenomenon, and it's one of those things where it's like you know, there are licensed games that are popular. Like if you put NBA on a game, there's a chance that it'll find a market just because it has the NBA on it. Right. But in the early '90s, it was a different circumstance because arcades were so big, and there'd never been an NBA arcade game before. Mm. Which I don't think there'd ever been a, a professionally licensed uh, yeah. coin game, right? It was like, such a new world. It was such a new world. And here we go. I found this this fact in the book: one thousand. 562 and a half tons of nickel copper alloy that so yeah that's how much it weighs uh four billion quarters one billion dollars and that wow. is again that's on the conservative estimate it was probably yeah. more than a billion. um but yeah no it was just so huge and the fact that it was an nba game of course really helped it but the fact was it was a really fun game it was put out in the right place at the right time came out in chicago in 1993 right when you know right after the dream team had you know, had just really set the basketball world on fire. And then, of course, the Bulls were on the top of the world in the early 90s. So imagine debuting a game called NBA Jam, a fun arcade basketball game in early 90s Chicago, back when arcade games are still really at the height. So it was now just everybody jumps on that game in Chicago in 93 and, and selects the Bulls, and Michael's not there. Right, Michael's not there. They tried to get him, but they couldn't get him. Yeah, yeah. well, he had yeah. already divested himself from the, the what the Players Association, I think. Exactly. He's exactly. like, I'm Michael Jordan. I don't need you. <laughs> right, and th that's the thing, though, is that Michael Jordan probably wished that he was in the game, but then he was, you know, for licensing reasons, he wasn't. Um, what's really funny is that, of course, NBA Jam comes out, and it's Scottie Pippen, and I think it's Horace Grant. Yep. are the Bulls in that game? Yeah, and of course, everybody's like, "Where's Michael? Where's Michael?" Mm. Well, somehow Michael Jordan finds out that NBA Jam exists. And, he, and somebody in his camp reaches out to Midway and says, hey, we know Michael isn't licensed for the actual game itself, 
but we would love to get Michael a special version of the game with his head in it. So the guys at Midway go and they make a special version of the game for Michael Jordan, wow. which is crazy. Yeah. And what's crazier is that they didn't just make it for Michael Jordan. They had a special version they made for Michael Jordan and a friend of his who was in the NBA who wasn't in the original NBA Jam. That's Gary Payton. So Gary Payton was very famous in tournament edition being with Sean Kemp on uh -huh. the Sonics. But he wasn't in the first jam, and he was really bummed out about that. Exactly, rocking that great shirt. <laughs> and so it was Michael Jordan, Gary Payton, and then the third was Ken Griffey Jr. Oh so Ken goodness. Griffey Jr. also really wanted to be an NBA jam, so he got his whole headshots taken from all the different angles. And there's, I got a, I found a photograph out there, or rather, Mark Jamel sent me one. So there's proof that Ken Griffey Jr. did all this. So yeah, so it's weird thinking that Michael Jordan isn't an NBA jam, but right. there is a version that's out there that's got Michael Jordan. Gary Payton and Ken Griffey Jr. in it, probably accessible with some secret codes or something. Wow. Well, yeah, because there was uh, there was something. What was it that if the developers if they put in their initials and then a number because you always got to log in and like put your shit in, and exactly. then like Mark Termel would come up or something. Oh like yeah. Do the the thing. Yeah. But MJT March twenty two. Yeah. These developers <laughs> initially started that whole secret character system just to put themselves in the game. They'd be like, oh, it's fun. You know, whether or not people will remember this game, like we'll have a little something fun. They said, um, one of the developers told me it was a way to win bar bets. You know, to be like, <laughs> I'm in this game. Like, I guarantee I'll play as myself in this game right now. Like, You're not wow. in this game. Um, and then you're like, no, I am. And then you can go key in your initials and your birth date, and there you are. Um, right. So, yeah, and then that whole system started from there, and just those secret characters just blew up. What's, cra funny what's too, crazy? Oh, go ahead, B. Well, the, the, the lack of, of MJ right and and being you know it, or like gary payton or whatever but you've got mike uh isolino uh, yeah how is it how you say it isolino isolino mike freaking isolino is in the game with the mavericks <laughs> Thomas, yes. you probably don't even know who that is i don't know who that he's is. my he's my uh <laughs> he's my my guy he's your italian <laughs> he's, he's my Padre. He's, those of you only yes. listening thomas is lying <laughs> <laughs> what uh right on when i when, when i was reading your book the the stuff that you just don't think about, but it was just pure genius on on Midway and, and the NBA Jam guys to have the four consoles. Is that how you would say it? The four, the mm -hmm. yeah, the four, different, four controls. different controls, yeah. and you're making two bucks, you know, fifty cents each quarter, and every so you're making eight bucks every ten minutes, 12, and then you wonder how you get a billion dollars. Yeah. But dudes are playing, you know, it's there's four guys playing two every two, and you're getting eight bucks every ten minutes, and it's just like wow, that's yeah. The economics are insane. Pretty, pretty genius. And then what was so funny to me is reading your book about how like the NBA people. And I know they're going to protect their their shield and their brand, but they're like, you know, we don't want to have our game in strip clubs, uh, cigarette bars, and all. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I'm, I, in right? '93, yeah. I'm I'm going to arcades and. I don't like. I didn't know there was a lot of strip clubs that have NBA jams going on. Like it was kind of weird how it's like they picked the most obscure slash like. All right, this I feel one like people are doing other things at strip clubs as this is to playing exactly yes yeah. Galaga. So. That's for the after party. Yeah, like that's where you you leave the strip club to go play some NBA jam and chill out. Or if you're Alec Baldwin, you go play some Galaga while you come down off of uh, off a of coke. Anyway, right. Sorry, I spoiled the story. Oh, uh, there goes the Easter egg. Oh dang it! All right, but the. So so back back to to creating the game. What what was kind of one of the interesting things was uh, I was reading about Killer Instinct, and for the guys that don't know the the Killer Instinct game, like it was a weird dinosaur one, whatever. But it was kind of this photorealistic 
thing and then NBA Jam coming in and doing those like photo like it was one of the first ones to kind of do that that motion capture kind of stuff or whatever. Who that? Who yeah, yeah, yeah. Mortal Kombat just came right before NBA yeah. Jam had that. Yeah, yeah. All who's, that was. Who was new the too. player they used for the model? It was the uh, player they used for model. Uh, yeah, in NBA Jam, like the guy who's in NBA Jam, uh, he's a fellow named Willie Morris Jr. and he was a nightclub bouncer in Chicago. So he was a bouncer by night and he played street ball by day. So he was playing on a court one day and then Mark Trammell walks up to him. And like, this was someplace in Chicago and Mark Tremelk says, you know, oh, I really like your moves. Like I'm making this game. Do you want to be in it? And Willie Morris, like this is the early nineties first off. And Willie Morris is not a video game guy. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, is this some kind of joke or something? He's right. like, no, no, I'm really making this game. So then more, Willie Morris shows up a few days later and he's wearing this blue uh, uniform to go against the blue screen in the background. It's like something that he could specifically wear so they could color code it out. And then he's there and he's playing NBA. Then he's like doing all the moves that would basically become NBA Jam in the studio by himself for hours at a time <laughs> doing every different angle. So, yeah, it was just some random guy. Wow. But this guy was just so special. And I mean, uh, the guys in Midway said that he's our they called him Air Morris. Like he's our <laughs> Michael Jordan. He's our Air Jordan. And they like if you look in the back of the, the game, there's even an Air Morris sneaker that you can see displayed on a billboard. Oh, what? incredible. That's yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, and he's a secret character in the game, too. And just a real interesting guy. Um, so, yeah, just some random person out of there. Just he happens to be the right guy at the right time. Yeah. Also super athletic. So all those crazy dunks you see from NBA Jam, that was all Willie Morris Jr. in the early 90s. <laughs> and you, yeah, you, there was something about like rolling him off a table or whatever for the the the, the spins and stuff. That yeah. <laughs> They would do all kinds of stuff like they would set up like picnic tables and jump like jump off a picnic table or they would. Yeah. And they would like kind of lower the hoop and raise the hoop and different kind of things. And then they would say, OK, let's do a few different dunks. So, you know, Willie just kept doing different variations of dunks for them. And then they just cap kept capturing it, capturing it. And then they eventually took that footage that they they photographed on. I think it was uh, high eight tape. I think that's what it was. And they mm -hmm. took it and they isolated his image and then they would color in the jerseys with somebody. They'd color in that jersey color with, like, let's say if this Phoenix Suns, I think it was like purple and orange in NBA Jam. I think they, yeah, they give him like a purple uh, jersey, but it's still Willie Morris just with a different head on top. Huh. And they would do that with a few different players. I think they had like three or four different players. Um, so they really like, they were really trying to do whatever they could to get that real realistic NBA feel with very limited technology. Right. Right, right on. When you, like, <laughs> I was reading the part about cheerleaders. I thought it was going the direction of, hey, they went to like, it was in Chicago, so maybe, I don't know, Northwestern, maybe you, USC, I don't know. And then they go to, hey, let's call Playboy, and let's, like, how does that even happen? How does it, how do you go from, we need cheerleaders to help with the game, to be in the background, and then it's like, hey, somebody in the office is going to go, I'm going to call the guy at Playboy in downtown Chicago, and then. Yeah, who then, should we call Playboy? Yeah, oh, obviously. So explain that to the audience here. Yeah, that's one of the most incredible stories about the book, too, is just, you know, there's so much kismet over here, so much fate. Like, you know, Willie Morris Jr., he just happened to be playing street ball at the right time. So he's the guy Mark Trammell picked. So in this case, uh, yeah, there was a Playboy office. Um, I'm, actually, I think it's still there. It's over in Chicago. And it was probably maybe just like maybe seven miles away from Midway's building. And so somebody at Midway was like, we need chillers from the game. Let's call Playboy. I'm, I mean, I don't know what compelled them. That part of thing, you, that that aspect, you probably have to ask him. Like, why necessarily Playboy? But they're like, yeah, let's try it. 
so yeah, so they call Playboy, and then uh, a woman answers the phone, and she has no idea what this guy's talking about from Midway. They're like, he's like, we need cheerleaders for a game. We're doing this whole digitization process, etc. And the model's like, like, or the woman who's answering the phone is like, I don't get it. Um, and then she hands it off to somebody else, and she says that uh, to somebody else who's working there, uh, named Carrie Hoskins. She says, Hey, Carrie, uh, this is some kind of weird call. Do you want to take it? And <laughs> Carrie was a Playboy model herself, and she at that time she was actually working on photographs. So you kind of move from being a model to being more behind the scenes and actually picking out different photographs of projects. So she said, sure, I'll talk to him. And she gets on the phone and they say, look, we need cheerleaders over here. We're making this NBA game. And Carrie didn't really get it, but she's like, sure, sounds fun. Paid gig. I'll, I'll do it. So she gets another friend of hers or another a friend who actually was another playmate, too, um, who was actually a cheerleader. So Carrie didn't know how to cheerlead at all. So she gets uh, Lorraine Olivia to come with her. So on the weekend, they both go over here and they're like, we don't know what we're signing up for. What is this job? But they go over there and they actually have a great time with the Midway guys. And, you know, they have they do they pretend to be cheerleaders against this blue screen. Um, and then they later come back and do some promo shots for it and whatnot. But what's crazy is that that was a start for Carrie Hoskins, uh, the blonde cheerleader in NBA Jam. And then a year later, she was in the Revolution X uh, arcade game with Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. So if you remember that, it's a game where you're like, yeah, Aerosmith is trying to save the world. From Kerry Hoskins, who is uh, <laughs> yeah the same cheerleader. The world's then, in danger. Who do we call? Steven Tyler. Exactly. Oh, no. <laughs> We're screwed. <laughs> That's what I do. That's what I do. Um, but, yeah. So, and then a year after that, she was uh, in Mortal Kombat 3 when they needed a new Sonya Blade. Uh-huh. So, she went from being, yeah, just being a model that works at Playboy who got the phone, coincidentally, to being one of the main characters in Mortal Kombat 3. Incredible. And she was a huge presence in it. And... You know, her whole career at Midway went off from there. So she was kind of in this really interesting freelance capacity that just happened because she happened to be by the phone when somebody else answered it at the Playboy office. And then, lo and behold, wow. she is Sonya Blade now. Wow. At least she was Sonya Blade back then. Just crazy stories. And yeah. then you realize these guys at Midway, they were just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to try it. Like, yeah. why call Playboy? Why, why necessarily go there? Why not go the more rational route? Because you're at Midway. You're just like, you know what? Let's just try it. Let's get the guy from the <laughs> local court to just come over here and do moves for our NBA game, you know? Well, and like, that's all what's these like the, 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 the NBA licensing. Like, I don't think, you know, your, your common fan or somebody who hasn't read the book yet really fully wraps their head around the fact that no professional league had ever licensed a game before. Like, and it wasn't because they hadn't been asked, right? I remember, I mean, even shoot, like, like baseball was super against it for a long long time i mean i used to play all the hardball games back then and they would have like the player names but nothing is licensed at all mm. you know it's the chicago whatevers and right. uh, um you know and and even then like the nfl for a long long time you know until madden came along and uh i guess they had tech mobile before that it's, at some point got the licensing but like nba jam like nba the first thing which at the time was not the powerhouse that it is now, you know, the NBA mm-hmm. was about to hit that like freakishly skyrocket upward, um, you know, brand value. Yeah. But the, for them, for them to have the audacity that they could think, Hey, we could get the NBA to like put their name and licensing right. on this. And Oh, by the way, cause originally as, as they were, you know, making the dunks like normal. And then the, the, I remember something about the guy being like, well, if you make it a few, a few feet higher, <laughs> yeah. Feet higher. Well, B, I think it's just a few feet higher. And what if we put flames on him? It's super interesting (laughs) that you mentioned the uh, 
the uh, that aspect of it because I, I thought one of the more interesting parts of the Michael Jordan documentary coming from that exact same era was that they were talking about how the NBA was transitioning into really promoting teams from a forever into promoting individual players, which is obviously way more up NBA Jam's alley. So it's, it, and, and I don't know if the NBA Jam, I'm curious, did that come up at all in, in any of your research for the book? Like, were they talking about how, you know, developers or researchers or whatever saw what the NBA was doing as far as promoting individual players over teams? Or was that just a, a really wonderful coincidence? Or did you see anything with that? I didn't really see anything with that. That's probably more happenstance than anything hmm. because they were just like, oh, if we're going to make a big arcade game and this is going to be it. And Mark Trammell was very ambitious. He was like, we got to get the NBA. Right. Um, actually, what's funny enough, it wasn't even Mark Trammell that first had the idea. It was somebody else at Midway. And then Mark Trammell at first was like, no way, we're not going to get the NBA. And then I'm sure he was convinced within a few hours um, that it was like, yeah, hell yeah, we're going to get the NBA. Um, yeah. It's just so weird thinking that there was a time when the NBA wasn't this huge all-consuming yeah. juggernaut that it is now where the NBA was sort of more approachable in a ways like I'm sure they you know they made a lot of money uh, in the early 90s but certainly not what would come the late 90s mm -hmm. and nowadays um, and then yeah going back to what we we're talking about earlier about how the NBA was very skeptical about it it's just so strange to think that there was uh, a time when arcade games were associated with you know uh, like porn shops or yeah strip clubs things like that or you know back alley bars things like that and the NBA worked in Times Square, or the NBA's headquarters was in Times Square, uh, which was right near where a whole bunch of arcade games were. And in the late 80s, Times Square was very different from how it is now. Mm -hmm. So the NBA, knowing nothing about the world of arcades, was like, okay, you know, I, we don't want our, our brand associated with this because we associate it with these seedy places. Mm. And then somebody at Midway had to be like, no, actually, that's completely wrong. The world is totally different. Like, there's family fun centers. Have you seen the games that are coming out and whatnot? Um, but for the NBA, I mean, NBA Jam was a learning process, too. Um, it's it's really interesting thing about it from their perspective is that they like they learned a lot in terms of how big this would be. They were not expecting NBA Jam to be that big. They thought it was going to be a game they would give the license to. That was a cool game. They did not think NBA Jam would become NBA Jam. Yeah, I forget what the what the numbers were on on what their cut of the thing was. But I think even for the NBA, they were like, oh, damn. Like yeah. when the money, when the checks started coming in, uh, you know, cause there was, there was a story about, uh, uh, when the game first released and they were getting calls that the machines were broken from the beginning. And the guys were like, what do you mean the machines are broken? And they'd show up and it's cause the coin things were overstuffed. Wow. People, people were cranking coins in there faster than the, the arcades could empty them out. And they were like, you got to make bigger cases for the coins because otherwise we, I can't do this shit all day. Like, <laughs> yeah. I got other games I got to take care of. Wow. What a problem to have. I just, that, that story still blows my mind thinking like, okay, th like it's like the imagine the idea of like, you know, your bank account isn't big enough or like, you know, your box isn't big enough to hold all your money. Like that's just such a strange strange idea to me there's like what a problem to have right. it's like guys we need to make bigger boxes for more money <laughs> Rayon, how, how that did was you, NBA jam, man. how did you get into the video game space like how did this become such an important part of your life to the point where you're literally writing books about it yeah so what's funny is i actually came from a totally different uh writing world so i've been a freelance writer for many years um started in i think 2008 right before i graduated college and i was doing lots of music freelancing so over the years, I wrote for tons of places, like the big ones are Rolling Stone, uh, Spin, Complex. Uh, then I started doing all kinds of different places. So I did, you know, Wired, The Atlantic, The AV Club, uh, The Village Voice. 
Jesus. Um, SF Weekly, like 50, 60 places. Like I was really wow. hustling. I was yeah. really freelance. I was like doing like, you know, if you open up a newspaper, you see those little music articles like so-and-so band is coming to town this weekend. Those would be the kind of things that I would write all the time. Didn't make a whole lot of money, but it was a lot of good experience because you get to write about all kinds of interesting stuff and talk to cool people. Um, yeah, I wrote for so many places that like sometimes I legitimately forget that I wrote for them. Um, but, for you know, after doing music writing for years, I was like, I really want to write a book. And then I pitched a couple of music books, um, and those were both rejected. So there was one in, they were rejected. All right. Sorry, I had to do that. They were, I'll put it in for you. It would be better if I had the, the, the Tim Kissero voice. Um, but, you. yeah, so one of them was came out like, yeah, I think I tried in like 2010 or so, and then 2012. Um, and these both these music books were rejected by these little presses. Um, so I was like, okay, but I'm still going to try. I still really want to do a book. And then I found this series called Boss Fight Books. And their whole idea is that they do individual books about individual video games. So they'll do one book about Super Mario Brothers 2 by one author, one book about Super Mario Brothers 3 by another author, one book about World of Warcraft by a separate author, and so forth. They've got a Metal Gear Solid one. And um, I was like, boy, I would really love to write for something in this series. Like, it would be great to do it. I would love to write a book. And if it was about a video game, that'd be that'd be awesome. So what, what's really worth writing about? And then I started to think back to, like, what is a really good subject? And then it just dawned on me is like NBA Jam. I mean, I loved playing NBA Jam as a kid. And what's funny is actually my very first ever writing gig, first gig ever was when I was 13, I was writing for Mortal Kombat website. And Mortal Kombat was made by Midway. So the same company that made NBA Jam. So I was like, I already know a lot of these, like about this history just yeah. as, a, as a huge fan. So I put together a pitch and most pitches that people write for Boss Fight are probably maybe like eight to 10 pages, I guess at most. But I wrote 37 pages. I basically wrote the whole book before I wrote the book. I was like, I really want this. So this was like back in 2015. I was like, please, please say yes. And they're like, yeah, absolutely, um, which was great. I got super excited. And I was like, OK, awesome. It's going to take me like a year. I'm going to write this book in like a year, two years tops. And then lo and behold, it finally came out last October on the 22nd after so much work. It's so much more work than I thought it would be, but it was so worth it. Um, but I mean, I knew NBA Jam would have an amazing story to go with it. You've obviously got the whole familiarity. You've got the NBA license, the sports aspect, but then you've also got this whole rise and fall of a series, mm. where like where people were playing NBA Jam everywhere in the early '90s, and it was so huge, it was so big. And now, the last time an NBA Jam game was released, aside from the arcade one-up ones, was like 2010, 2011. So it's been a long time for a game that was so popular, and it's just so strange thinking about it sitting on the shelf. So I knew there was a story, and the more that I dug. Like the more people I got to talk to, and I just had some amazing experiences with the book. Like I got to talk to DJ Jazzy Jeff for this. Like it was just so great. Like I was because he was in the game, work, right? And then what's that? I'm sorry. He was in the game. He was. That's he was. was he was a secret character in Tournament Edition, I think. Uh, or actually, no, it was one of the original home games. He was there with uh, Will Smith. Wow. And he was there as the Fresh Prince. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I was. I was working a day job, still working at the day job. And I thought I was doing this all on the side. And I was like, I got to get my interview with DJ Jazzy Jeff. So at like 9.30, one morning on a Wednesday, I played hooky, went down to my car, sat in the parking lot, talked to DJ Jazzy Jeff on the phone about NBA Jam for a half hour, and went right back up. Wow. And yeah, and I would do stuff like that for a long time, like picking up interviews here and there. Um, when I got to talk to Shaq for the book, that was when I was at work too really weird circumstance really fun story but i mean nba jam opened up so many doors and people love talking about it yeah. i mean it's one of those things i love talking about it and hearing about it and people always just get so excited there's so much energy and enthusiasm and positivity with nba jam 
Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. iTunes ratings and reviews are also extremely helpful. Your support is what helps us move the needle and keep this thing going. We love and appreciate all of you. Now, back to the show. Well, now I got to hear the story about Shaq. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> they, they, yeah. they, like Shaq, I know, I know Shaq was a huge fan of the game and talked about like he would play as Penny or Chris Mullen or somebody else. And, and I don't yeah. know why like he didn't play as himself, maybe because he couldn't yeah. shoot. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so yeah, so let me rewind back to 2016. So this is when I've been working on the book for a while, and I was like, I really d- got to try to get somebody that my mom will recognize. Like, <laughs> I love Mark Tremel, and you know, like, boy, some of these guys I got for the game or for the book are so cool. But she's not gonna really, she's not gonna pop for like Mark Tremel the same way that she would for, let's say, Shaq. But I was like, I really need to get a big name out there. So first I got Glenn Rice for the book, I think just before that, which was great. Glenn was awesome. He told me some amazing stories, but I still wanted to get another NBA player if I could. Uh, so I cast the net wide and then I managed to get through to Shaq's people. And they're like, okay, he'll talk to you for the book. And I was like, wow, amazing. Cool. Sure. I'd be, that would be awesome. Um, and then I waited and I waited and it was five months. I think that I waited lots of emailing back and forth being like, Hey, is he available? Oh, he's not. How about next week? This, that, whatever. Jeez. And then finally I get the text from his agent one day. He's like, okay, you can speak today. And I was at work and I had like a, a call on the schedule uh, with this insurance agent. And I was like, uh, okay, yeah. All right, sure. Yeah, let's do it. And so then I emailed this insurance agent to be like, sorry, I have to, something's come up. I have to cancel the meeting. <laughs> and I didn't say anything to this guy. It's like, I'm actually about to go talk to Shaq if he's actually there. Um, but yeah, I was like, I was like, I got to do it. And so all my coworkers know what I'm about to do. So I go over to this little huddle room at work, this little private room, and I sit there and I wait at the time. And I'm like, okay, check and call, check and call. And he doesn't call. It's like, okay. And like, you know, I don't really get too nervous talking to celebrities nowadays because I've talked to so many over the years. And, you know, you realize people are just people. Yep. But in this case, I was definitely nervous. I mean, it's Shaq. Like, I was a huge fan. It's Shaq. I mean, you don't even have to explain it. It's Shaq. Right. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah. Obviously. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, after like five minutes passes, I don't get anything. And then I text his agent. I'm like, hey, is he still available? Like, and then she's like, oh, he hasn't called you? Give it a second. And then just like a minute later, boom, unknown caller. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Is this him? And I pick up the phone and he goes, hello. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Hey, man. How are you doing? Um, and then, you know, I talked to him for a few minutes and he's, uh, you know, he's backing out of his driveway somewhere in Florida and I'm at my office in Ohio, by the way. So talking to him over here. And so, yeah, he's backing out of his driveway and you know how if you leave your car door open it makes like a ding, ding, ding sound or like your seatbelt isn't plugged in. And he's got that sound in his car as we start the interview and he's like, what's that shit? And I was like, oh, you know, I think it's your, I think it's maybe your car doors, uh, open or your seatbelt isn't, isn't, uh, totally pl- buckled. And, you know, as I was giving him this advice, I was like, wow, this is so weird. I'm at work in Columbus, Ohio, calling up Shaq, who's playing out of his driveway in Miami. I think it was Miami or somewhere in Florida. And we're about to talk about NBA Jam. And I was like, man, life is cool sometimes. Yeah. This is awesome. Um, Put but your yeah, seatbelt so, on, Shaq. Jeez. Exactly. Come on. Yeah. Observe the rules of the road. Um, so, yeah. So I talked to him while I was on the, yeah, like the car phone, I think. And yeah, he, he was super cool to talk to. And really, what I really enjoyed about talking to him, aside from the novelty aspect, was the fact that he was a huge fan of the game. Mm. So he told me these amazing stories about how when NBA Jam came out, he loved it so much that he got one for his place. And then the other guys from the Magic Squad would come over and play him. So like this is like P. 
peak, you know, early 90s magic. So Penny Hardaway would come over and Nick Anderson and who else was from that squad? Uh, Dennis Scott. Dennis Scott. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All these guys, they'd all come over and they'd play NBA Jam together. And Shaq was a huge fan. And then when they went on the road, there's this famous story that Shaq had an NBA Jam arcade machine he would take from place to place, which I'd heard throughout the making of the book. And I was like, wow, this has got to be amazing. And he says, no, that's not that's not a true story because that would be too much effort. And I was so bummed out. I was like, man, I would love for that to be real that you're taking an NBA Jam machine. But he's like, but we, what we did do was that Magic would be on the bus. And then once they get to the hotel, they'd all get off. And then Shaq would say, you know, be in my room at 10 o'clock for some NBA Jam. You know, be there, be square. And then the whole Magic squad would all show up in some hotel room. And they'd be there playing NBA Jam, trading money. I'm sure there was some drinking going on. I'm sure there was some other stuff going on. And they would just be hanging out, playing NBA Jam on the road. Only Sega Genesis. Shaq, very much a Sega man. And um, not new Super Nintendo <laughs> Noted. at all. I love Shaq. Oh, wow. That's why I love Shaq. I'm a Sega guy as well. <laughs> that's the reason you yes. love Shaq is that he's a Sega man. Now, of a now Sega is guy. the reason. You're right. Yeah. But it was just so cool. I mean, it was just so relatable. And uh, because, you know, you just think about playing NBA Jam with your friends. But it's so weird to think that you are like, you know, for me, in some ways, peak Shaq. Like, I always think of Shaq as that young rookie on the Orlando Magic. Mm. Of course, he did all these other things. But for me, that was a special Shaq. It's like, wow, you're there. You're on the top of the world. You're actively spending your time out on the road, hanging out with everybody, playing as yourself in this game or playing yeah. a game that features you. It's like that just blew my mind. Like, that's how popular <laughs> NBA Jam was, that yeah. Shaq and the Orlando Magic were getting together after getting off the road to chill out and play some NBA Jam. And there were so many stories like this. I mean, Sean Kemp owned a machine, machines, one in his house and one in his mom's house next door. And um, I mean, all these different people that you could think of. I told the Michael Jordan story earlier, Gary Payton, um, you know, Mark Price played the game. All these different folks where you're like, wow, NBA Jam was really that big. So you kind of understand with time just the level of impact it had. Because when, you know, when Shaq's talking about all this, then you really realize, wow, NBA Jam was everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I remember Mark Price saying, like, uh, like, yeah, no, I always played as myself because I could really shoot threes. It's like, yeah, yeah. no shit, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> which, 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 right on, which it gets to, I want to know how close was it? I mean, I'm assuming eventually they would have changed it, but in the book, you talk about initially they just had players and there was no strengths and weaknesses. And then they realize, mm-hmm. hey, we got to make these guys a good dunker, a good shooter, mm. fast speed, John Stockton, good defense. I mean, eventually that would have happened, right? Or, I mean, do they do they really get close to, like, they could have had a huge flop? I think John I Stockton think- was kind of one of the impetuses behind that, right? There was something about that they were like, hey, you know what we can't do? We can't have John Stockton dunking on, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So this is, like, right when NBA Jam went on test in this arcade in Chicago. Um, this is probably late 92. And then they're showing everybody this game. It looks super cool. Everybody in the arcade is, is hyped about it. And then one guy who's playing says to the other is like, okay, you know, keep the ball away from Stockton. Stockton's, you know, Stockton's going to steal it. And then somebody else on the, on the midway team who was actually sitting there watching, which is such a r- really bizarre visual in itself, like making an arcade game and sitting back and watching strangers play your arcade game please for the like first it, time. Please like it. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like, ugh. Um, but yeah, they're like they were like you know this can't be right. We can't have John Stockton uh, being able to dunk the same way as Carl Malone. Mm. So they went back that night and they started working on the whole attributes. Um, there was another artist on the NBA Jam team who had mentioned that before. Like guys, we need to give them something more specific. But he was kind of like 
you know, pushed aside for a bit in that way. Like, I was like, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll do it. Maybe we won't. Then they realized they absolutely had to do it. So I think it would have been, you know, it would have happened pretty quickly, but that whole jazz uh, episode that they saw in that arcade, that was definitely the impetus. I'll, they... I'll never forget. Uh, go ahead, B. What? Go ahead, Nick. Oh, I was just going to say, did, didn't they also almost have realistic dunking for most of the game before yeah. they then? Yeah. They did. They did. Yeah, they started off this way. When they pitched it to the NBA, they pitched it on the nice graphics. Like, they didn't pitch it on, oh, you know, this book game is crazy. You know, three <laughs> shots are on fire and all this stuff, secret yeah. characters. None of that stuff was there. You go back and there's actually the original demo videos out there on YouTube. It's super cool to look up. Just look up NBA Jam pitch video. And they're pitching it as like Midway has developed the most realistic two-on-two basketball game. And everybody's just moving around the court real smoothly and it's super cool. And But there's nothing ridiculous. But, yeah, it was all realistic dunks wow. until one day. Um, yeah, somebody at, at Midway who was basically like – he was like the godfather of Midway. Uh, this guy named Eugene Jarvis who did – uh, a whole bunch of great games himself, like Cruising USA. If you know Cruising USA, oh, yeah. he developed that. And Defender, Robotron 2084, Narc, the game where you kill drug dealers and do all kinds of stuff on the streets of Chicago. That was him, too. Just a real fascinating character. So, yeah, he was like, raise it higher. And then those amazing dunks were born. The, uh, I'll, say, I'll never forget, I used to play the machine at the local movie theater. And, uh, and, and it's funny how, you know, we all played video games growing up. Some of us played more than others. And, and like, there's so much of that. That's just like this mush in our brains of like, yeah, I played all these video games and I don't remember shit from any of it. Right. <laughs> like, you know, like I remember beating final fantasy seven on the original PlayStation, just because I basically dedicated a summer of my life to that <laughs> was wasted at this point. But, but like, I, I remember going to the, the, um, you know, playing constantly at this local theater and, beating there was this kid that was always just like better than everybody and he was always there and he's just smoking everyone fred, Sa- like, fred savage <laughs> yes it was fred <laughs> savage um in my head yeah. and you were in I, the wizard and you didn't even know it you were in the wizard too nba jam edition <laughs> and i remember i remember beating him on a buzzer beater a full court buzzer beater Ooh. with Shaq. <laughs> and i was like give him all three <laughs> what it's literally the only Shaq three that Shaq ever made was in my video game. <laughs> <laughs> That's it like that stands out to me in my head like it was yesterday. Like the only game that has had any sort of momentous impact on one day in my life where I felt that elation of like Yes. It's <laughs> amazing. Wait, so how did the other guy react? Was he like was he cool with the loss or was he No, he like, kicked the kicked the freaking machine and dented the, the coin case. <laughs> oh, what a jerk. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was Shaq making Jack. a buzzer beater full court. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, hey, hey B, since, I mean, stuff like that happens. Since you yeah. share that story, I, I, I have to do this because it's two of my best friends in the world. I'll, I'll show you guys the, the screenshot so you can see the score. <laughs> you For those see of that. you, again, just listening, to turn that it back, is, what did it say? That is Indiana Pacers 101. Seattle Supersonics with Detlef Shrimp. 26, 101 to 26. The Pacers win. My best friend, Matt LaFosse, who lives in Houston. Shout out, Matt. Shout out to Matt, big listener. Beat my fellow best friend, Nick Hecker Thompson. Shout out, Nick. In Manhattan, New York right now. And they just texted me this picture, and they're actually talking crap to each other right now as we Love do the live raid. And Matt beat the brakes off him. This is back in Arizona <laughs> on a boys' trip. We were out having dinner and drinks, and they're like, dude, there's NBA Jam. And they started talking mess, put some money down, and Matt beat him by 70-plus points. How did he score 101 on just the arcade version? Uh, Reggie Miller? That's unbelievable. Just, <laughs> Nick, Nick, was, so hot. Nick Hecker was absolutely terrible. 
absolutely terrible. So yeah, incredible. That also sounds humiliating. Yeah, that sounds really (laughs) rough to watch, but also like. Of course, depending on your side, either incredibly entertaining or incredibly painful. There's a lot of screaming and yeah. yelling. <laughs> Rayon, yeah. in your opinion, who's the best player on any edition of the game? Ooh, best player on any edition of the game. Boy, I mean, you got to go. Well, and I always think about it in team form. So the, the Jazz has to be the best team because you've got two okay. people with very different skills. Yep. But one single best player. I mean, I feel like Scottie Pippen's got to be way up there. Yeah. I, mean, I know that they compensated for Michael Jordan with some, to some degree with Scottie Pippen by giving him better stats. Um, what's funny is that Mark Jamel was such a big Pistons fan. And this is, of course, early 90s, right when the Bulls-Pistons rivalry still, it's super hot still, um, that uh, you know Mark Jamel was really disappointed that the Bulls were taken off and the Pistons bad boys were getting left behind, that he actually programmed NBA Jam so that in the fourth quarter, if you're playing the Bulls versus the Pistons, the Pistons – or the, Scottie Pippen will start to brick shots while the Pistons will start to make them. So <laughs> he actually tweaked the code because he was that petty and that much of a Pistons fan that he was like, look, they're my guys. Like, oh, oh I got wow. the, I also got to show you, you guys listen, can't see this, but I've got my oh, 989 NBA world champions <laughs> glass over here in Mark Turnell's honor. Yeah, dude, he was, <laughs> he was such a big NBA fan too. I mean, wow. Mark Turnell would go around the office. Um, this is like late eighties again when the Pistons were great. And amongst all these Bulls fans in Chicago, he would go around, he'd be wearing his Pistons merchandise, and he'd go, bad boys. <laughs> and these guys would just hate him. So there was a lot of rivalry in the office over this too. I mean, Mark Jamel was a Michigan guy who ended up in Chicago making arcade games. I mean, that kind of passion is amazing. I mean, he had that passion back then. You know, your friends have that passion now. I mean, NBA Jam just inspires that in people because it's such a fun game and such a ridiculous concept too yeah. that you're like, yeah, let's take it all the way. Let's make it so the, that Scottie Pippen will always brick while the Pistons will make it no matter what, just to make up for lost time. <laughs> Who was on the Pistons in that that first? Joe Dumars. Edition? No, yeah, actually, no, yeah, Joe Dumars. So. Oh, Bill Lambert and Isaiah. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So still a great team, but you know, by 983, yeah. it wasn't the same. It was. No. Bill Lambert later on with his own video game. Uh, oh. beer space basketball chopping people's heads off with rotating razor spin. What is this? So. Oh, yeah. Ridiculous. Wasn't it combat yeah. basketball or something? Bill Lambeer's? Yeah, combat basketball, yes. Yeah. yeah. God, it looked like garbage. Huh? Yeah, Ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculously bad. It was one of those games that you'd go rent and then you'd, you'd, you'd get it and you're like, I want to take this back right now. And mom's like, sorry, dude, you got that for like the next four days. Right. Shut, shut yeah, up, Blockbuster. I have no idea yeah, Bill. Yeah. It's a good thing you Man. don't. Um, here's, yeah, a, here's, here's, here's a question. In the first yeah. edition, we have two of my favorite players, rest in peace, Reggie Lewis and Drazon Petrovic. Right? Isn't that correct? Dude, that is correct, yes. Yeah, and wow. I, I, I'm a huge Reggie Lewis guy. I remember you know, when he passed away for the Celtics, it was, it was, I was devastated, and, and the same with Drazon. Yeah. Um, so Petrovic, I, one of the, probably one of the greatest would have been one of the greatest players of all time, a lot of people think. 100%. And they were on the first edition, and that's, I think, a lot of people might forget that. I, I Absolutely. Did. Yeah, have you guys heard the Petrovich story? Uh-uh. Oh, this is another classic. Oh, oh this is, so, God, again, I'm so happy I brought that up. Yeah, this is, this is a fun one. So, yeah, so, of course, uh, the NBA Jam team made the game before what happened to them. Um, so, you know, they rolled out the game because, you know, you can't patch it the same way that you can patch things now. In the arcade days, you know, you're rolling out these chips. You have to send them out. You've already made the game. So, so he died kind of when this was coming out? Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I think he died. Didn't, it, it was it was after the 93. 93? Yeah. Yeah. 
because they played yeah, in the, so they played in the Olympics and Michael weren't they? I think they were kind of yeah. I think that was right. Yes, yeah. that was yeah. That would be ninety two. So yeah. So and NBA Jam came out in like uh, hit Chicago in late ninety two and went on wide release in early ninety three. So right around the same time frame. Uh, anyways, Petrovich was in there, and um, so what happened was sometime after his death, multiple guys of Midway swear up and down that this happened. They would be walking through the arcade factory late at night, you know, when they're all, the day is done, and they'll have a whole bunch of arcade games there, of course, because the place where they actually developed the games was the place where they made the games, too. So they had the physical cabinets, the arcade cabinets, the pinball tables over there. Um, and there was one guy in particular named John Hay, who was a sound guy who told me this story. You know, he was walking home through the aisles one night, and then he just heard the NBA Jam machine pipe up, Petrovich, Petrovich, Petrovich. And John Hay was like, what was that? And he just flipped out. And apparently there was some weird glitch with NBA Jam where it would just start shout Petrovich out of nowhere. Jeez. And multiple guys on the team corroborated this. And I was like, this sounds just sounds like the weirdest glitch ever. Um, but of course, now it's become like the NBA Jam ghost story of like, oh, it's Petrovich's, you know, knows he's in the game. Um, but it was one of those other crazy things that happened in Midway that they swear up and down. It's like, yeah, we were walking through the aisles uh, of the arcade factory. And then, yeah, Petrovich started coming from nowhere. And then there, there's another time they're playing, I think they're playing Mortal Kombat 2 or something like that. And there's an NBA Jam machine right near them. And it just said Petrovich. So <laughs> he left his impact on that game with those guys too. Um, and I think that story's in the book as well. Wow. wow. Yeah. The, there's um, just so much stuff. Yeah. It's just incredible. I love, I love hearing these things, you know, I mean, it's guys, like, guys, listen to this. You got, you got to go check this book out um, and we'll have the link in the description and stuff. You know, there's, it, yeah, they, when you when you see it's 244 pages, I think 244 pages of NBA Jam, and and just the amazing stories that are in there. I want I did want to ask you about you know one of the most iconic things of the of NBA Jam, and that's that's the voice, and the mm-hmm. voice of NBA Jam, and and he um you, you'll have to fill in all the blanks here for me obviously, but the 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 the, the comedy troupe that he was in. And, you know, guys like Steve Carell were in that, like heavy hitters in comedy, uh, you know, were like boys with this guy. They were in the same comedy troupe. And then h- how did he come to be the voice? I know they said we wanted Marv Albert and there's no way we can afford him. So who do we got? And it was like this guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, you know, you are on the right track with all that. So, yeah. So late in the development process, they didn't they still needed to add the announcer because they told the NBA there was going to be an announcer in this game. So Mark Trammell first suggests John Hay, the guy who I just talked about in the story with walking through the arcade aisles. Um, so John Hay had done a little bit of uh, voice stuff for Midway. So if you go back and play the first Mortal Kombat, the voice of Raiden, that's John Hay. So he was so he was like, you know what, I don't actually, you know, I think I might find somebody else who's better for this job than me. And he knew this guy named Tim Kitzrow. And Tim Kitzrow and John knew each other from the music scene in Chicago. So Tim was a drummer. He was basically like a weekend warrior. Um, in this band called, I think they're named the Lazy Boy Rockers. Don't know what kind of music it was. It was some some kind of some kind of rock band. Um, but the Lazy Boy Rockers. This guy named Tim Kitzrow. So you know he John Hay met Tim through somebody else at Midway. Anyways, John knew that Tim was a voice actor and he was a really talented guy. So he was like, yeah, you know we want you to come in and do some games at Midway. So before NBA Jam came along, he was a voice on a Gilgan's Island pinball game. And he was a voice, I think, on a Popeye pinball game and some other ones, too. And then he'd never done a video game until John Hay said, hey, you know, I was talking to Mark Trammell and the team about this. We'd love to have you in for NBA Jam. And he's like, yeah, sure. Sounds great. And Tim did not really know too much about it. Tim was a basketball fan. 
but he was not an, a video game player. And I don't think he really grasped what the Midway guys were up to besides this little school. So he comes in and he has, you know, he has, gets a great gig. He, I think he makes something like 50 bucks an hour, which was awesome. I mean, you're just coming in over there um, to this little studio in Chicago, making 50 bucks an hour to shout basketball phrases and names. It was amazing. So he would go into this little tiny room uh, that they called by these different names. One of them was uh, the Meat Locker. I think it was the Meat Locker or the Sweat Box, the Sweat Locker. They had all these different names for it. Um, this tiny little room that was right near where the Mortal Kombat team worked. Just to give you an idea of how close these guys were, like the Mortal Kombat team was right down the hall from the NBA Jam voice guy as he was recording his phrases. So NBA Jam comes out, and, you know, Tim is perfect for this whole job. Like, Tim is the guy. Like, you know, he really gets it. You know, he grew up playing basketball as a kid and making shots in his driveway and saying things, you know, just, you know, saying those phrases when he'd nail a shot. And so Tim was, you know, really in love with this idea of this game too and really got into it. And he took that, basically, it started off as be like Marv Albert, you know, Marv Albert level energy. He took that and he made, made it something his own because that boom shakalaka he did and the he's on fire he did were just so perfect. So NBA Jam comes out and he's just floored by how popular his voice is. Mm. Like he would go up to people in the arcade and there would be doing impressions of him around him. And then he would do, he would do one too. They turn around and say, hey, you sound a lot like the NBA Jam guy. He's like, I am the NBA Jam guy. So he had a lot of fun with this too. Yeah, over in Chicago. Like, yeah, he had a he had a young son of the time to take his son out to arcades. And it was just a, a big blast for him. It was such a novelty. Wow. Um, but then a year after NBA Jam came out and it was this huge hit, he went over uh, to a break room at Midway. He was there for another project he was working on. And he goes up there and somebody says, hey, did you hear about how well NBA Jam did? He made a billion dollars. And the Tim's like, a billion dollars? Come on. Like, you're joking. Like, he didn't make a billion dollars. So he goes over to this break room, and somebody's uh, put up an article on the wall. Like, they put it up on the little bulletin board over there that says something about, yeah, NBA Jam grossed a billion dollars, talking about how high-selling the arcade game it was. And Tim was just amazed. He was like, wow, this is incredible. And he just could not wrap his head around it for the first few minutes. And then he realized... He got paid 50 bucks an hour to work on the original game. So he ended up making maybe 1500 to 2000 at most for NBA Jam. Oh, wow. royalties after. And the game made a billion dollars. Oh. So his story is just, it's really happy in the way that he found this amazing, amazing thing that he did. Um, I should talk about the, the whole Steve Carell thing in a second too. But then, yeah, he didn't end up making a whole lot of money off of it, which is just really strange. I mean... It's, it's, it's kind of sad in some ways. So, yeah, he came up with Second City. You know, he would go to auditions with Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert and Amy Poehler. Um, you know, all these people were part of the same Chicago group at that time, and their careers started to take off. Even back then, like, they, they found, you know, they were starting to get things. And Tim never really was able to find that, that thing, even though he was, you know, a great comedian. He was a, a classically trained Shakespearean actor, too. And he really busted his hump trying to do anything he could to – get out there but nba jam which ended up being the you know which was just this first kind of oh, okay sure i'll do the nba basketball game on a on a whim ended up being his calling card so mm. really kind of a happy and a sad story of tim kitzrow it's uh it's wild man just him himself what a character jeez it's like the guys that helped create apple that sold the stock as soon as it exactly public. <laughs> exactly yeah and it really bothered tim that so they ended up making a sequel to NBA Jam, not Midway itself, but Acclaim, the company they worked with mm -hmm. for home games, eventually got the license. And when they got the license a few years later, so again, for context, NBA Jam came out in 93, 
NBA Jam Extreme claims arcade game. Uh, NBA Jam arcade game came out, I think, 96 or 97. Well, by then, NBA Jam was the biggest thing ever. Mm. So they got Marv Albert to do the voice. And Marv Albert made something like six figures easily oh, because no. it's Marv Albert. Yeah. And it really broke Tim Kistrow's heart. Is like, you know, they would never pay me anywhere close to that. And Marv Albert basically phoned it in his performance. The game is terrible. Don't, I mean, look it up if you want to see a really bad mid 90s basketball game, <laughs> NBA Jam Extreme. Um, it was a heartbreaker for several reasons, but yeah, Marv Albert and eventually ended up appearing in the game when it first started off with somebody doing an imitation of him. Wow. Can, yeah. can we talk uh, about the original real quick? Just some of the teams, man. I mean, just, I mean, you look at Kevin McHale, Reggie Lewis, you look at Derek Coleman and Drazon, you, you got Scott Skiles. What, 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 Scott Skiles? Like, <laughs> I mean, I know Scott Skiles well, but you, you got to tell how like, how did they come up with these names? Like he's talking about, like what? Who did they? I mean, you, yeah. got, you got Vlade. So, you got Vlade. I'm here to pade. Divac, <laughs> the dude smoking cigs at halftime of Lakers games, and he's with James Legend. Worthy. Like, come on! Like these these these. It's it's really just such a an interesting lineup of people. Yeah. So what's funny is that whole lineup of like, you know, people remember it so well now. Like, you know, we're still talking about it all these years later. Everybody was playing as these guys in the arcade. You know, you remember those teams so vividly. These guys basically came up with it on a whim. Like there were two guys on the NBA Jam team. NBA Jam team only had seven people on it, by the way. <laughs> seven people made that game that became this huge success. And there were some testers out there and sound people and, you know, people above executives. But basically seven people made the game. So two of those people, John Hay, the sound guy from the other story, and Mark Trammell, they were the basketball fans on the team, or at least two of the probably the big basketball fans. And they just went through newspapers to see, okay, who's you know in the box scores this week? Who's out there? Who's on the team right now? And they pitched the NBA on some ideas, and the NBA said no. Um, like, for example, they wanted Magic Johnson. And Magic Johnson, I'm guessing, was another scenario, like with Michael Jordan, where his licensing agreement was different. So he didn't end up in the game. Um, but, yeah, it was – it was pretty much just on a, on the whim. You know, they're like, okay, yeah, Mike Isolino's doing well this week. Let's throw Mike Isolino in there. So that's how these iconic lineups, you know, we have shirts of them. Like, oh, there's, yeah, we're wearing a shirt with the super the classic Supersonics on it. That's because those guys at the time were like, yeah, okay, this is what the NBA will let us do. These are the guys who are popular right now or doing well. I mean, so yeah, right not on. very scientific. Ryan, at all. you had you had Sean Kemp. Like, oh, Sean Kemp and Benoit. Benjamin, <laughs> like you got, you like you never wanted to be Benoit. No offense if Benoit's listening, if that's even how you say it. But and then you I got it's Benoit, but yeah, go ahead. Benoit, Benoit, <laughs> whatever. I call him Benoit when I was a child, but with a hard T. But, but dude, you got pa- but, but Pacers like, and when when Detlef went to the Sonics, I mean, you just saw my boys. I mean, he tore in the end. It was Reggie and Detlef, and <laughs> he scored a hundred and one. But they they were the number yeah. one team usually, you know, but. You just get down the line. I mean, good Spud Webb and Wayman Tisdale. I mean, come on, dude. Glenn yes. Rice and, and Ronnie Seek- Seekly, Recycly, like yeah. the 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 long flowing locks of Ronnie Seekly from Syracuse. <laughs> How did he come on this game? <laughs> It's just, it was, it's unbelievable. Oh, it was great. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know how they come up with some of these. Yeah. Like the Mike Isolino one is the classic example of no one knows Mike Isolino except from NBA Jam. Right. Wow. Like yeah. they're like, he's the guy who's on the Mavericks that's like, yeah, just had, was there probably for a cup oh, of coffee. Wow. People that and, didn't grow up playing the game think of NBA Jam as, as like, you know, these are, everybody in the game must be like one of the elite, you know, players. Nay, nay. 
not the case. <laughs> I don't know. No. Dude, yeah. the, hey, the Milwaukee Bucks, Blue Edwards, and Brad Lowhouse. Dude. Yes. I would. Yikes. Brandon, you and I could go take Brad Lowhouse. Blue Edwards is pretty good. I like Blue Edwards back in the day. But Brad Lowhouse, B, I think you could get get a few buckets on Brad. <laughs> I mean, it's just, gosh, it's such great teams, man. I love it. Oh. Yeah. There's an article out there about how, uh, I think, yeah, they call it, like, the Bucks are the shittiest team in NBA Jam. That's how they describe it. <laughs> well, there we go. It's Blue Edwards and Brad. Brad. Exactly, and it's written by a paper that's in Milwaukee. So these guys wanted to like really love the Bucks, and they're like, these guys are awful. So, yeah, it's uh, and it's yeah. become this thing now where it's it's like, especially for guys our age, that are looking back and looking at those names, and you remember watching these guys play. You remember playing these video games, and we're you know we're we're making fun of of Cycli and stuff, but like that was a name that we knew. You and, know, and basketball cards we, and our basketball cards yeah, that we remember now. Right. So it's like, it's like, I mean, when I was cleaning out the house when we moved and I'm looking at all my old baseball cards and I'm like, you know, Chet lemon. And, you know, I was a Tigers fan for some freaking reason for a short period of time. So it's like Cecil. Alan Trammell and, you know, all these dudes. And, and so it, we see that back now. It's, I mean, it's like why guys our age go spend $500 on a 36 inch tall recreation of an NBA jam. Uh, game because it's Absolutely. this nostalgic, yeah. like make you feel good. I mean, it, like this this shirt, right? Like before oh, yeah. I even I, I bought this before the podcast. I bought this before even it, before any of this other stuff going on because I was going through like uh, I like the the homage site and uh, and looking through the shirts and I'm like, I gotta have that. You know, I gotta have the Penny Shack one. I gotta I gotta have the Sonics. I gotta have like this stuff from your childhood. You end up. Uh, with this nostalgic attachment to that just makes you feel good. So, you know, I think, you know, I don't want to get your opinion on this it, midway, um, you know, when, when they folded and then I think a claim had already folded before that or vice versa, yep. whatever. Yeah. A claim was, 2005, it was. Midway, 2009. Yeah. You know, even, even when the game came out, we were transitioning more to at home systems, arcades were starting to fade into the background and now arcades don't exist really except in weird places where you don't want to be a lot of times and and you know it has now become such a home thing and nba jam had it had an incredible run uh at home on the home systems and and all that kind of stuff and they I know they've periodically tried to reinvigorate it but the you know the nba jam that we all remember and know and love was this this game that had debt left shrimp in it and so from your perspective, through all your research and through all the things that you've learned about this, what, what really is that lasting cultural impact of NBA Jam, not only on the gaming community, but on the basketball community and just, you know, in general? Definitely. I think what NBA Jam, I think the one of the, the probably the big reason that NBA Jam is still so successful is not just because it was an NBA game or because it was an arcade game. Um, or because it came out in Chicago at the right time. Like, those are huge reasons that people loved it back then. But I think the reason that people still love it so much is because the game itself is really fun. It's really tightly programmed in some ways and then really wacky in some other ways. And it just really inspires your imagination. I mean, you, you play those games. Like, you know, you put in your initials. You don't know who's hidden in the game, in that version you're in necessarily. You know, if you're a hardcore NBA Jam fan, you know, but usually you don't know. And there's just something that's just so exciting about the idea of like, okay, here's your team. It's going to be two on two, and you can do all these crazy things. I mean, what NBA Jam always represented to me was taking basketball and then distilling it. It's like, what are the highlight real things you want to see? Like, I want to see a crazy good pass. I want to see amazing dunks. 
I want to see just like this epic three pointer. And NBA Jam would give you the opportunity to do that. And it would just be so fast and so addictive and everything was good. I mean, the graphics were great. It was colorful. The, the lineups were fantastic. And I mean, I, I forget um, how, what the number was, but there was a, tons of Hall of Famers in NBA Jam. I mean, most of the members of the Dream Team were in NBA Jam too. It had so much going for it. But ultimately, the fact that it's such a fun game, that's mm-hmm. why people still get so riled up over it. Because there's always going to be that thing where, you know, you approach the, like, let's say you haven't seen NBA Jam in forever. Like, oh, my God, I love that. I used to play that when I was a kid. Don't you remember how cool that was? And then there's that novelty at first, but that novelty doesn't always last. You're not going to be like, okay, I want to play it again. Like, you might have just played NBA Jam, gun your fill. But when you play the game, you see that it's programmed in such a way by Mark Tremont those midway guys who really did some creative things with the way they programmed it that it just really sparks your imagination and you get into it. It moves so fast, two minutes are up like that in NBA Jam. And then you're, you know, want to stay on there for more quarters and more quarters and more quarters. And then slowly you just get hooked on the game the same way that people were back in the early 90s. So the fact that it was such a tightly, well, you know, tightly programmed game and had so much excitement going on for it, that I think that's what really stimulates people's imaginations. I mean, they still associate it with it all these happy times because NBA Jam was just so damn good. And it still is really good. I mean, it still holds up. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of the few that that has um, been able to at least hold its own with other franchises in that nostalgic uh, time period. You know, bring you back to when you know the the Mario and and you know different franchises that everybody goes, yeah, like that was my childhood, and like I want to be a part of that now, right? Like that's why I'm sitting here going, you know, I love basketball, I love the NBA, I love all these crazy names from from back in the '90s. I remember playing this. Guy. I remember going to the theater and beating this stupid kid with Shaq, and like that sticks out in my memory. I mean, I couldn't have been more than twelve, you yeah. know, at the time. I mean, that was 25 years ago, and like that's something that really stands out for me in 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 a way that you know so many other things uh, video games are not you know that, that come along that are pop culture icons just kind of fade into obscurity absolutely you know i also look at nba jam as kind of a yearbook like when you go down the rosters it's like going back through time and being like okay there's that face there's that face and even having the, the faces in the game was such a novelty for the time like you would not ordinarily go and play a basketball game and then be able to see recognize multiple players in fact recognizing them in game was just totally like that was just not that was happen. groundbreaking stuff because it used to be black guy stuff. with hair black guy with no hair white guy <laughs> with hair white guy with, <laughs> white no, guy hair. with no hair white guy with blonde yeah. hair yeah exactly <laughs> that kind of thing and nba jam was was one of those games where like it had everything going for it it had those amazing headshots on the team select screen and those in-game heads here's another fun fact about the game is that every in-game head you see that was hand-drawn which is oh, just wow. crazy like Jeez. some yeah so Maybe that you know what they took. I think they um, this artist's name was Tony Goski, so he drew all those heads by hand. It took him two months just to do those heads. He had to do I think nine angles for each of them. Maybe it was either nine or ten or something like that for each Holy head. Crap. And he would get the first face-on perspective. But back then there was no internet, and you would have to get like basketball cards, Beckett magazine, you know, see if there's anything in the newspaper, maybe watch some highlight reels to try to figure out what are the different angles of somebody's head. So all that stuff was hand drawn. So I mean, that's two months worth of love poured into that game with those faces you see. That was all hand drawn. That's just crazy to me. That's incredible. So, if you had to pick yeah. one, if you had to pick one team from the from the first edition or two teams that are your favorite, who would they be? Man, I always got to go with the, the Jazz. 
the Jazz, because of that story that we talked about earlier where, you know, John Stockton and Carl Malone were so important to it. Plus, I loved the Jazz as a kid. I actually, you know, I watched The Last Dance recently and I appreciated it. But, man, I hated Michael Jordan as a kid. Like, <laughs> I loved the Sonics and he would just destroy the Sonics and he'd be like, why? Why? Why can't we just – why can't you just go away? Just why can't we have nice things? God. Exactly, exactly. And then he's like, okay, they're not going to do this to the Jazz twice. Oh, he did it to the Jazz twice. Okay, wow. That was painful. So I did not like like Michael Jordan, but I was a huge jazz fan. Um, and yeah, Stockton Malone are classy duo. And they, they, to me, represent some of the best parts of NBA Jam. I mean, you've got the stealing going on over there, um, you know, the long-distance shots. You've got the dunks with Carl Malone. You know, you've got some power and some speed. And just their portraits and that whole jet, that classic early 90s jazz logo, that's, some, that's something special to me. That, that's something that really sticks out in my mind. Um, but yeah, from the original game, they're heads and shoulders above all, at least for me personally. There's tons of amazing squads. I mean, we didn't even talk about Patrick Ewing and John Starks. Um, yeah, yeah there's just so many of them that, like, you just keep going down the roster. Um, but, yeah, for me personally, it's got to be them in the first one. And then Tournament Edition, uh, just what you're wearing on your shirt. i got to go with, go with Peyton Kemp because I love the Sonics. And, yeah, there were how I got an NBA Jam. I remember uh, being a kid. This is when I played video games, but I never played NBA Jam before. I saw an NBA Jam ad on the back of a comic book, and the colors of the Super Sonics logo were just turned up so tight that the contrast was way turned up and i was like man that looks so cool like i don't know anything about basketball or the nba but this sonics team looks pretty cool and that's what got me into nba jam which in turn got me huge into the nba in the 90s wow. and it all started off with the supersonics logo so yeah there's a lot of personal attachment there aside from the fact that i you know started to realize how much of an impact it had on everybody else too we were uh we were at a party at the final four and uh gary payton was there and in one of his uh, – a kid that he knew from Vegas, uh, Channel Banks, uh, was a kid that I had helped and whatever. And so I was going to go up and talk to him. And an assistant coach from a JUCO goes – grabs my shirt. He's like, he's like, hey, that's the glove. I was like, yeah, I know. And he's like, yeah, no, 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 that's the glove. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know. I'm going to go talk to him. And he's like, oh, take me with you. <laughs> what? Like, all right, man. So we go up there. And, and immediately used like Channel Banks as like my in to talk to Gary Payton. And he's like, yeah, you know, whatever. And, uh, and so I lean back to my guy and I'm like, hey, this is, this, is, this is my buddy. You know, he coaches at this junior college. And I'm like, this is Gary Payton. He was really good in NBA Jam. <laughs> <laughs> Gary looked at me and he's like, I was really good. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, you know, if you ever see Gary Payton again, like you got to ask him, somebody's got to ask him. He's the one person that I know of, aside from Mark Trammell, who has the, that version of NBA Jam still in his place. Like he still has two cabinets in his place in California. He kept them in mint condition. He talked about this on a radio show a couple years ago. The version that's got Gary Payton pre NBA Jam tournament edition, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. and Michael Jordan. That's in Gary Payton's house somewhere in California. Oh, in man. Two versions. Yeah, the holy grail of NBA Jam is out there somewhere. All right, we'll so get NBA, Gary yeah. on the show, and I'll ask him about it for <laughs> exactly, sure. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If he just took a photo of it, people would just lose their minds. Michael Jordan and NBA Jam, that's not, like, just some hack on the Internet. Like, that's the real thing that that Midway team did back then. Like, people would just go nuts. So, hopefully right. someday he'll We're making that happen. Yep. Yeah. Write <laughs> it down. Ask about this NBA Jam cabinet. That's the dream. That's, I mean, that's the one. That's the one real. Like, that's what's amazing about NBA Jam too is that all these years later, there's still one mystery left. You know, these people still haven't seen this game. Like that whole adds to the whole aura. Like, wow, you know, you're like, wow. wow. There's all this stuff going on with NBA Jam. There's still something we haven't seen. Wow. 
Well, my friend, it uh, this has been awesome. I mean, we could we could sit here and drink cocktails and talk about an NBA Jam till till the wee hours of the morning. So I sincerely appreciate you coming on. Everybody listening to this show, uh, uh, Rayon Allen or Ali, sorry, Rayon Ali, uh, NBA Jam the book. Uh, definitely check it out. The uh, link to purchase it will be in the description. Help our guy out and support the work that he's doing because this is some really cool stuff. These kinds of things that just give us uh, that, that nostalgic feel that, that look back to our childhood and stuff and hearing, hearing things that we never would have heard without the work that you do. So this is awesome. And this has been a lot of fun for us. I thank you guys so much for having me on. It was such a blast. And I love like, I love geeking out with like early nineties NBA fans. Like there's a part of me that I love the video game stuff, but man, just thinking about these names, like, you know, I've done all these interviews. I don't think anybody's ever talked to me about ever mentioned Derek Coleman before. So I'm I'm psyched <laughs> about that. So no, I, I don't or know or or Benoit Benoit Benjamin. <laughs> Benoit Benjamin. Yes. You're gonna need a Wikipedia that look up on the pronunciation first. there. But hey, that yeah. was that was young Thomas, ten years old. I didn't know Benoit or any other <laughs> French name. That would have been a lot. That would have been. That, I was in Alabama. That's fair. Hey, Dad. You barely how do you spoke s- English. You're from Alabama. Hey, DC. And draws on Kevin McHale, Reggie Lewis. You got Tim Hardaway and Chris Mullen. Come on, it's beautiful. Yeah, unbelievable, Ooh. amazing. Yeah, look at all these. I forgot all about Tim Hardaway, and he <sighs> was he was fantastic too. I mean, this is man. There's just there's so Loaded. many people in NBA Jam that you could really just keep going all day talking about. Was they were they the right squad or not? And I mean, like just the whole combinations, like tubers too. God, what a great game. Like, I'm getting hyped up game. talking about this. I'm like, man. For the whole damn book about it. I wrote the book about it. I spent four years just only reading about NBA Jam and talking to people about NBA Jam. I want to go play NBA Jam now. Damn. I love it. Well, I, I imagine everybody listening to this does as well. And most yeah. of those guys haven't gotten to talk to Shaq before either. So, Oh, yes, I did. Cool. And I, I ended up buying the I, – I bit the bullet and I got the arcade one-up. So it should be here in a few days. So oh, it's like I got to get one. So I'm super psyched about that. Love like. It. I actually don't have any playable versions of NBA Jam in my home besides that awful NBA Jam game I talked about, NBA Jam Extreme, which I got for research purposes. So it's a little strange. You know what? I might have like a decorative like Sega Genesis cartridge of one of them. But yeah, I don't have actually any real uh, playable classic NBA Jam. So I got to get got to get on that. Well, the so one up, you're, you're just going to beat the hell out of that one up. I know that. Oh, yeah. I might beat the hell out of it. But when people play me, they'll beat the hell out of me because I'm awful. Like, I love NBA Jam. But I'm I'm so bad, dude. I'm so bad. I have this this buddy of mine. He gets such a kick out of like beating me and then being like, "Hey, I beat the guy who wrote the book about this game." Like yeah. he, he'll tell people this. I'm like, you know, Ethan, I love you. You're right, but man, it stings that you're you're sharing that with people. Even what they say, those who can't do teach. There you go. Exactly. But, exactly. There but, you go. I'm spreading the gospel of NBA Jam. Over. Rayon, you have a secret player now, Benoit. You can look him up. You can add him uh, to your team. You didn't know about him until now. Thomas. Unbelievable. The man, the man. Yeah. yeah. No. What a God, man. I, there's so many people that as we're talking about, it, I'm just thinking of like, boy, I want to go back there and see who else is on some of those lineups. Like, what? A, Probably what a some names team. that used to, that really stick out in 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 context of uh, hindsight. You just go, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, thank yeah, you so much, so man. Sad. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was a blast. Yeah, I had a great time. All right, buddy. We'll be good. And uh, we will uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? Sounds good to me. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Be good, brother.